Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Welcome to church. Please uh, continue those conversations afterwards. If you've met someone new, make sure you get their name uh, before you leave. Don't just call them brother and sister. It's good, but maybe getting their name's a good idea. If you are new to church today, let me extend another welcome to you. Thank you for being uh, part of our church family today. It's great to, to have you here. If you're looking for a church family home uh, that, that you would like to call home, uh, this is a good church. There are lots of good churches around, but can I encourage you? Gateway's a great church to be part of our family, and we'd love to have you, you join us on a, on a regular basis. Uh, this morning, we're, um, we're diving into the last week of our encounter series, where we've been looking at what happens to the lives of people when they encounter the living and resurrected Jesus. And uh, we've looked at that through a bunch of different themes. This morning, I want to look at encounter with Jesus and how his power heals us whether that be mind, emotion, or physically, how the healing power of God, by encountering the risen Jesus, can touch your life. And uh, we're going to explore that through looking at a different story in the Bible. Probably one of the great stories for me, the woman we're about to unpack in this story to hear a little bit more about her life, uh, as she encountered Jesus, is a bit of a hero of mine. I think she's someone whose life and testimony you'll see it throughout all of the Gospels, is there's just something incredible about her faith that's worth celebrating today. And I hope that as we unpack this story, it will become a blessing to you. So we're going to go to Mark chapter 5 and verse 25. If you have your Bibles, please follow with me. Otherwise, you can follow on the screen behind me. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Let's just pray. Father, this morning as we open your word, Father, it's your word that counsels us. It's your word that gives us a picture of your nature, of your heart, of your willingness, Father God, to touch our lives in different ways. God, you teach us through your word how to stand close to you, how to draw from you, and what your heart wants to give back to us through the generousness of your love and grace. God, I pray today that you would help us. God, those in this room that have a need this morning, Father, I pray that they would feel a fresh touch of your power. 
God, that today we would all have an encounter with Jesus that we've perhaps never felt before or that today could be a renewal of things, God, that we've always known in you. Father, today I pray your spirit would move amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's pretty hard to fully convey just this woman's desperate condition in our modern Western world. Our modern world has seen a great increase in the way that men and women are regarded in society today, and it's been great. It's been something that probably in in the last 50 or 60 years has really seen an upturn, And, and we're not here really to talk about that, but what it's done is it's caused a context in our mind of the status of between men and women and the broader society. But in these ancient times, things weren't quite like that. In fact, if you were to look at the law and you looked at what healthy women enjoyed as their status, you wouldn't call it enjoy. In the law, a woman was considered the property of her husband. A woman was listed alongside his ox and his donkey in status. Men, I'd like you to turn to the lady you brought today and just try and describe what that might be like in modern language. You can't even imagine having that conversation, can you? Well, you shouldn't be able to imagine having that conversation. In ancient times, women were ranked after the importance of a man's children. An injury to a woman was rated as damage to a man's property and compensation was received by the male head of the household for her injury. A woman could be disposed of along with any other unwanted assets when an estate was being wound up and her future security was only bound in the loyalty of her children who hopefully had mercy and grace to her as she got older, assuming she could have children. And so that's the status of a healthy woman in ancient times. But this woman had less standing than that. Because of her issue of blood, she was considered to be unclean by the law. So she was an outcast because anywhere she would sit had to be declared unclean. And no one could sit in that place for seven days until it was cleaned and purified. Anything she touched was declared unclean. She couldn't touch anyone or anyone couldn't touch her and anyone that engaged in that, the person that touched her would be unclean, have to be removed from the community for seven days and then brought back in later once the period of cleanliness had been observed. She would have to have lived away from her family and friends. The Bible says the condition was on her for 12 years for at least that time. She wouldn't have held her children or grandchildren. She wouldn't have felt the warmth of her husband's affection. She wouldn't have shared a meal with her extended family for that length of time. She would have been outside of temple life, which was the whole life of the Jewish faith. Therefore, she would have been out of the Sabbath meal. There would have been no seasonal feasts, no sacrifices, no offerings that she could have been a part of. She would literally have been outside of the whole world she knew. This is the status of this woman. I just want you to sit with that for a minute because that's essentially where she was coming from as she enters this story now. In our society, long-term illness will do the same thing to you. You know, people will walk with you for a month 
And again, it's not that people's hearts change, it's not that we don't have compassion, but as illness goes longer than a month or two or three, of course, people's lives go back to their routines again. And though their heart wants to walk with you, oftentimes their routine doesn't let that happen. And so there can become an isolation, even in our modern times, for people that are carrying long-term illness. Eventually, the world moves on. People return to their problems, their challenges, the world that they're in. And the sickness and the pain associated with that sickness becomes the world of the person that's suffering it. And it becomes an isolated, internally focused, introspective world surrounded by that sickness. All long-term illness, whether it be mental, emotional or physical, causes a retraction or a shrinkage in the world of the person that's suffering. Probably five or six years ago, I was jumping up on this stage to, to take the um, communion of that, that Sunday. And as I jumped up, my heart rhythm won out of beat and became very irregular to the point that my head started to spin. I could hardly hold my feet. And I managed to get off stage. Thankfully, people were coming to get their communion glasses. It was a little bit of moving traffic. I don't know how many people know this. I sat in the front seat just breathing heavily, trying to get my breath back as this was happening. Jason looked at me and said, are you okay? And I, through heavy breathing, said, not really. Uh, he jumped up on stage to take the rest of the communion. I went out that side door, up the side, all the while breathing and walking, hoping this thing, I wouldn't lose my balance. Somewhere about halfway up there, it flipped back into beat again, and, and suddenly I felt like I was back in the world of the living. It was a very unnerving experience. I went through all the physical things you do with hospitals and had the right procedures done and all of that was corrected for me. The challenge was in my head. Every time I got to get back up on stage again, my head would scream at me, the anxiety would rise and I found myself in this place of being surrounded. There was a ridiculous level of anxiety going on and that's really not very good for someone whose whole life is meant to be about preaching the gospel. And I don't know whether you've ever felt trapped, but I felt trapped. I felt like every time I got up to preach, I didn't want to do it, and, and, but yet I knew that was the very thing God had called me to do. And so there was a battle going on, probably for a couple of years. If you were to read my journal, my prayer journal before the Lord would say, help God, please, help me. How can I get out of this place? I remember one morning sitting in my office here early, just it's kind of what I do, my quiet time is here, and I'm sitting with the Lord, and I, I, the presence of God is, is always generous and wonderful, but there was something different that morning. I felt like as if Jesus walked into the room. And as long as I live, I will always testify that I felt the presence of the person of Jesus come into my room like I've never felt before or since. And as he walked into my room, I could hardly speak, and I felt him say to me, just a flash of words in my head, ask me what you want. Which is interesting because when you read the Gospels, I've often said to the Lord since then, why did you ask me that question? It seems a strange thing to ask and you know what I want. But Jesus seemed to ask that question all through the Gospels too. They'd come to him lame and he'd say, what is it you need from me? Anyhow, I said, God, when, when will this, when will I be free? And I felt Jesus say these words to me. It may not mean much to you, but it was life-changing for me. He said, it has to do with you. 
In other words, it's not out here. It's not oppression from the enemy. The devil's not trying to rob the call of God from here, although I'm sure he was in there playing havoc in some way. But it has to do with you, what you're processing. You've got to change your internal world. And I rose from that place and sought some help and did some things. And I'm standing here today saying to you, I feel free, completely free. And, and I can't tell you what it feels like to be on the other side of that place. But I can say this, that those who have a long-term thing that you're grappling with and that sense of being surrounded in that place, I, I, I just want to say to you, I get what that feels like. And you think there is no way out. What I love about this woman's story is somehow or other, she still kept her hope alive with God in spite of being in that place. Her condition went for 12 years. There'll be people in this room where your challenge has gone much longer. Somehow or other, what I love about this woman that makes her heroic to me is she says in her heart, if only I could touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. Now, you don't think those things unless inside your heart there's still a fragment of hope that says, God, I can get breakthrough yet. Because if you're really completely depressed about your situation and have decided no longer is it possible, you won't have enough hope to even say that. But she had enough hope to whisper that prayer. If anyone had a reason to be offended or bitter with God, I'd say it would be this woman. But somehow her heart was still soft before God. The hope that things could be different had not died inside her. See, hope makes room for our miracle. But offense with God will always shut that down. And it's easy to be offended with God when we don't quite understand why things are happening like they are. The challenge is, while we wait for God, our mind wants answers. Our mind says, why is this happening? How long will it continue to happen? God, why don't you heal me? How come for them and not for me? And all of the things and questions, there's a myriad of them. Our mind goes into that place. There's a caution, though, that in our quest for those answers, it can lead to a rejection of mystery. Mystery is often treated as something that's intolerable in our current society. But living with mystery is the privilege of those that walk with Jesus. Why? Because all of us today, right around this room, are sitting in the middle of two realities. One is the revelation that you have from God. He's shown you something of himself and you know him. And on the other side, you're living in the mystery of the things you can't explain. And in the middle, like a perfect cross, you're living your Christian life just like this. Between the revelation of God that you have and the mystery that you can't explain. And as you walk with God, slowly but surely, the revelation of what you can't explain starts to become a little bit more plausible. You start to see the world from a different perspective. And slowly, a little bit comes from revelation across into mystery. And, but no matter how far you go with that, the infinite God will always be infinite. And so we live in this place where it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. What is the Christ that lives in me? It's the hope that he has for me. And if I can keep my hope alive in the midst of mystery and revelation, then I can probably hear what God wants to communicate to me in the season I'm in. 
But if you allow offenses to get hold of your heart, then it's going to be difficult because God will become the problem to you and not the answer. It's why Christianity is called the walk of faith. If you have an intellectual gospel, what will happen is you will try to understand God. And as you try and understand God, you'll want to reduce the question down to an answer that you can understand. And so as you understand it, not only have you reduced the size of the answer, you've reduced the God who brings it. Because now you want to understand God. Well, this is the mystery. You'll never understand God. You say, well, what's the answer? Well, that's the walk of faith. That's what the walk of faith looks like as we walk with God. The infinite God will always challenge our finite logic. I want to show you a video just on screen here of this gorgeous little kid. Look at that kid. This is my youngest daughter, Abby. She's now this big down here now, but she was that big, and she's cute as a button. She's about one in that picture. When she was six months old, I've told this story before, but I just want to recap this journey. I was holding her on my lap, and she'd been running a temperature, but her heart was popping in her chest like popcorn. Just happened to stumble across that sense of that, and I said to Shell, come and feel this, and it was just going crazy. We took her to the hospital. Her heart was doing 300 beats a minute, which is rather quick. And so we went on a process and a journey with that. But the, the way that we were to treat her, we were advised by the whole sort of pediatric unit at that time, I don't know if it's changed, but then, was we get a bucket of ice water, a slurry, if you like, where the ice was still there. We would take her into the laundry where the other kids couldn't see this happening. Uh, it was traumatic enough for us. And we put her on the top of the um, washing machine. We'd wrap her arms in so that she couldn't move, hold her upside down, and we'd dunk her into this ice water and hold her under for 10 seconds of course she would writhe and complain no one likes the sense of being drowned and then of course her heart hitting the water would flip back into beat again and we have heart monitors there and we'd make sure that was all working well we were doing that from six months on right through this age and beyond I remember once we put her on the actual washing machine we were doing the whole thing with her and she said dad please don't do that I will be good. That was hard. And so we were asking God, you can imagine, God, please, Father, let your presence and power come and touch this girl. One day, we just prayed that prayer as we were doing it. And as we prayed, we were about to wrap her again, and my wife, who has far more faith than me, said, shouldn't we at least measure whether or not the heart's gone back? And we did. We we put the thing on before we dunked her, and the heart was back to normal. And we said, oh, that's great. And so we just watched that. We didn't jump to any conclusions, but over a very short period of time, knowing how many times we had to do it, it just all went away. We never did it again after that, that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Except when she got to 13. And when she got to 13, it started again. Now, you can do lots of different things. Now, obviously, she was a bit too big to dunk in the old, uh, the old bucket. But our heart had questions for God. Like, where's the miracle gone, God? We had a miracle from you. Like, I can't tell you. That whole 10 or 11 years where we didn't have to do it, it was a gift from God. But it's back. 
I can't explain it to you. I don't know why it's back. And it, 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 it attacked my faith to say, God, why? But here's the challenge for all of us. We can't let offenses build inside us that that question we place before God. God is not opposed to your questions. He's not opposed to your mind. God is big enough to contain that. The thing is, you can't contain the offense. It will poison your heart. God's not opposed to your mind. What God is opposed to is the unrenewed mind. The unrenewed mind wants to challenge God. It's not capable of obeying God. It won't submit to God. The unrenewed mind wants to walk its own walk. And a believer who governs his life or her life through that mind is what Paul talked about being a carnal Christian. As hard as that is to say, that's what Paul was speaking about. That person will reduce the size of their God into a religious form that's easy to kind of grapple with and judge the actions of God which causes offence. Now God's on trial. Now I determine whether I'm happy or not with God. God I am now God's judge. Well, I, I hate to say this to you, that's a slippery slope. And so where do we find ourselves? Back on the cross again between mystery and revelation. I think sometimes it's okay for our questions to exist, but we can't hold God hostage to them. That's not his plan. It shuts down, the offense that comes shuts down the power that brings understanding and revelation and ultimately breakthrough. Because this is the thing I think our hearts have got to know today. With an encounter with Jesus, something will shift for you. I don't know what it is. I can't tell you what it will be, but I know this. You can't encounter the living God without having something change for you. It's impossible. So it raises the question, and I think this woman asked it well, who is the Jesus you see? Who is the Jesus that you are seeking encounter with? Who is he? This woman had a way, and again, this is why she's heroic to me, is somehow she saw he wasn't just Jesus of Nazareth. He wasn't just Jesus the carpenter's son with the brothers and sisters living at Nazareth, doing all that like so many saw. She saw that he was Messiah. She would have been looking into this scripture, Malachi 4 and verse 1. It says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Here's the point I want to read. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. The son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. What does that mean? Let me, let me try and explain it for you. My lovely model, Tim. Could we put our hands together for the lovely model, Tim? As he comes forward. Tim has a Jewish prayer shawl on. He's a good-looking character in that, isn't he, hey? Not too many agree with that, so I'm just letting you know. They're human. Yeah, they're human. All right. This is uh, what's called the talit. And around the outside is the fringes, which is called the zitzit. Now, this has only got a very small fringe, 
Uh, a lot of the ones that would have been worn and still worn traditionally would come right down and the fringe would go right around. It was also called the phylacteries. The fringe was known as the phylacteries. If you read more of the gospel, you'll hear Jesus talking and criticize the Pharisees because as they were looking to self make themselves more self-important, they would increase the border of their phylacteries, which made them look more important. And he said, you, if you look up phylacteries, you'll understand. He's actually talking about the border or the tzitzit, same thing. Now, what the purpose of the tzitzit was to write on there the words of covenant that you had in your heart, that you were putting over your family, that was part of your walk with God. So they became your words of the Torah that you were taking with you. And so when you prayed, just put your wings out for me, you would pray under the wings of your zitzit, under the words, and that would be where you would pray to God, your prayer shawl. And so the wings, if you like, became the port of where you would see the journey of the faith of the person that's got them. It's almost like having tattoos. You would tattoo your pressure. That's your story. Now, why did that matter to this woman? Because she reads this and says, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. What that means is his words, the words over his life, Isaiah 61, the things that says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to healing, set those who are captives. All of those words that belong to the Messiah are part of his words of covenant. So she knew if she could touch that and if it's true in Malachi, she would get her healing. So she wasn't just coming to touch his clothes, she was coming to touch his authority. And so she pushed through the crowd. She positioned herself behind him and she came. There is a whole sermon in the fact that she thought she would leave her isolation and push through the crowd. But I think it's amazing. She comes and she touches the hem of the garment. As soon as she touches it by faith, power goes out of Jesus because he says, I felt power go out of me. And then he looks around. Thank you. Tim, round of applause for Tim, please. Very, very good. It's why in Isaiah it talks about, you know, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up with wings as eagles. What are the wings of eagles you're rising up with? The words of God that come from the secret place. The words that will be part of your prayer shawl. How do you rise up? How do you run and not grow weary? How do you walk and not grow faint? Because the words, as you under the wings of your prayer, God will inform that. And out of that will come the life of God for you. That's why you rise up on the wings of eagles. So it's, it's connected. It's all part of Jewish culture. And so... It's amazing because as she touched the hem of his garment, if you look at some of the rest of the Gospels, many others started to touch the hem of his garment. She created an expectation. People said, that's how I get healing from Jesus. Now, was that the only way to get healing from Jesus? No, no. Jesus touched many people in different ways, but others reached out and touched him. And so we see a pattern of what was happening there. And this woman, and this is why she is my hero, is somehow or other she was able to still look for Messiah in spite of her condition. How she did that, we'll have to wait till heaven to ask her. But she's a hero to me. That you can stay in that place and wait and still believe by faith that God will help you. So back to our original question, who is the Jesus that you see? You'll always be faced with two 
interpretations when you face anything in life. One interpretation will be your sensory interpretation. What is it that's going on? How do I understand it? How do I make sense of it? The other will be your spiritual interpretation. God, what is it that you're doing? How is it you're walking with me? What do I need to learn? And so between those two, you'll walk with God. And as we walk through this world, we're all doing it right now. The disciples did it. As they were walking through the crowd, Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? The disciples react sensorily. Well, what are you talking about, Jesus? There's people everywhere. They're bumping you everywhere. Why on earth? But Jesus wasn't talking from the senses. He was talking from the spirit. He said, no, no, no. Someone actually touched me. There are many who are positioned around Jesus. There are many who are serving Jesus. There are many that are proximal to Jesus, but not everyone is pulling power from Jesus. Who is the Jesus you see? Who is the Jesus that you see? Jesus has that same power to heal us today. Jesus said, I felt power go out from me. You see, one day there will be a physical kingdom of God that will be planted on this earth and there will be no more tear. There will be no more crying. There will be no more suffering. It's a great day to look forward to and many look forward, we all look forward to that day. But Jesus also announced the kingdom when he came to this earth. He said, the kingdom of God is here, even at hand. So spiritually, the kingdom of God is here. What does the kingdom of God look like? Well, Jesus prayed the prayer from heaven and said, you know, as it is in heaven, so it shall be on this earth. And he said, when you pray, pray that the kingdom of heaven will come to earth. The kingdom of heaven will come to earth. It's both now and will be. It's now and it will be. But it's here in spirit. What do your eyes see? What do your eyes see? In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. What is the apostle of our confession? In the old ancient times, when one kingdom would subdue another, that kingdom normally would go in and kill men, women, children, all of the oxen, cattle, whatever. They'd kill the lot, torch the cities. Why? So that no one could rise up with rebellion in their heart and retribution in the generations to come. They'd kill them all. But as time went on in the ancient world, rather than do that, they would send an apostle from the kingdom that conquered the other kingdom, the apostle would go in, the apostle means sent one, and their job was to go into the world there and actually bring the culture of the conquering kingdom in to that place. So in the educational systems, in the political systems, in the social systems, so that when the king came from that kingdom, that one, into the kingdom they'd subdued, it would feel like home. Jesus is our apostle and high priest. He has brought the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven to earth. He stood on earth and said, this is what it looks like, folks. It's a different kingdom. It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of forgiveness. It's a kingdom where peace rules and reigns. Not retaliation, but peace. And then he said, it's a, it's a place where you will find forgiveness and you will find healing. The kingdom of God. He's shown us what that kingdom looks like. He said, it's a different world. When Jesus was here, he forgave sin. He healed those that were sick or diseased. He freed the prisoners. He set the captives free. 
That's the kingdom of heaven. And so he says to us as his church, consider the apostle and high priest of your confession. In other words, what is he doing and what should you do? What should the kingdom of God look like around you? What should the church that is the body of the apostle and high priest, what should it be doing as it moves throughout the world? It should look like that. And can I tell you, as I'm saying that, it challenges us because now we're the ones that are going to bring this kingdom to the world as we ourselves say on the cross and say, God, but I don't understand it all. And so we're in the tension of those two things. Yet God says, keep walking forward. Keep walking with me. I'll show you. Trust me. And so we have a choice to make. How much of the kingdom do we believe should flow through us? At what point do we stop our expectation that God can move? It's a question we all have to wrestle with. I know in my own walk with God, as I prayed for people, I've seen some wonderful miracles happen, and then at other times, unfortunately not. And so the wrestle is, God, what else can I do but trust you? Either I retract and redefine what I think the kingdom of God is, or I keep standing in the place of faith. And we all have that decision to make at some point. Jesus said, as you go, preach the gospel, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received and freely give. I was at a conference uh, a couple of weeks ago, and... uh, the second day in, and we were preaching on the grace and the love of God. And this woman came out, she's a Christian worker, and uh, she came out and saw me in the, after the second uh, day. She said, I just want to tell you my story very quickly. She said, I, 25 years ago, my husband committed suicide. And, uh, you know, we, we got ourselves through that, and, and that's some time ago now. But she said, four years ago, my eldest daughter came to me and said, Mum, I've been battling to tell you this for so long, but... I want you to know that when I was young and right through my teenage years, my dad was abusing us sexually. And one by one, she had four daughters. Each one came to her over the, once the eldest sort of kind of broke the ice on that disclosure. And all four of them said the same thing happened to me. She said, I found myself hating a man that's been dead for 25 years. I just, she said, I just became so offended that God would let it happen. I'm so, I just, where was he protecting my daughters when I couldn't be there for them? She was racked with guilt and shame. It was an incredible moment. She said, as I'm sitting here yesterday, she said, I'm writing notes, I'm crying my eyes out. She said, I can't come forward for prayer. But she said, I, my heart was hearing everything. She said, I had lunch with my eldest daughter straight after that yesterday. And all we did was sit across the table as I read the sermon notes and we just cried together as we felt God challenge our hearts to forgive God, to forgive our Father, and to let God back into our story again. After that little meeting around the table, she said, we've rung the other three daughters, we're all getting together next week, and at that time we're going to read, sit around the sermon notes, and we're going to let God just minister to us again. We know it's time to move on. How good is God? How good is that redemptive message of God? Only God would know what is the key to unlock that woman's heart. The pain that is in there. But only the the mercy and the grace of God can come so gently and wonderfully around her and say, come on, let go of your offense. 
It's killing you. Let go and let me in. Only God can do it. Only God can truly set us free. Can I say to you, every encounter with the presence of power of God will heal us in some way. And every one of us are taking one more step closer as the healing power of God keeps releasing us from guilt and shame, breaking our bondages, binding up our grieving and broken hearts, healing our bodies and renewing us with hope, giving us a picture of what tomorrow can be, redeemed, free, whole. I want to acknowledge there's challenge in that for people. I, I do, I get it. As a pastor, I sit with people all the time in the tension of this. But can I tell you this? We have no choice but to preach the message of the gospel as Jesus brought it to us. And I know in the heart of that is the release of the power of God for people's answers. And God will have his way. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this morning? He's Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way you reveal yourself to us. Father, thank you for the way that you watch over us as your sons and daughters, that you care about our walk with you. God, you want us to be free. You want our lives to be whole. You want us to be able to have encounter with you that's real, authentic, that helps us, Father, find you in new and wonderful ways. God, you understand that we stand in the junction point between what we don't understand and what you've already shown us. Father, would you help us this morning? each one of us, God, to encounter you again, to come again to you with hope still alive in our heart and say, God, would you move in my life? Would you touch my life? Would you outwork your power in my life today? In Jesus' name, amen. What I'd love us to do this morning is you'll see either side of the stage there's a cross and at the base of that is uh, like, a, like a stool with some cut pieces of fabric. The, it's a symbolic idea of the hem of the garment of Jesus. I just want to encourage some folk today. I reckon there's people here today and probably two groups. One is I reckon there's folks here today and there's an offense you're carrying with God for whatever reason. God has not moved in the time you wanted him to. You haven't understood all but somehow in your heart, offense has grown. And you've just said, God, I don't really know how to trust you or connect with you again. Can I plead with you this morning to lay your offense down? Come and touch the hem of Jesus' garment and say, help me. In Mark chapter 9, there is a story of a father who brings his boy to Jesus. He's has a demon, he's convulsing, throwing himself into the fire, he's covered in burns and scars. The father takes that boy to the disciples who can't really do anything with it, so they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, help us. Jesus looks at the father and says, do you have faith to believe? And the father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I reckon that's our stance. I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus says, be healed. Little boy is healed. If that's you today, release your offense. Say, God, I, I don't want to carry this anymore. It's costing me more than I've ever known. The second group of people is you, you'd say, I just want God to heal me. 
Either you personally, mind, emotion, or body, you say, I need a healing touch from God this morning. Or maybe you want to stand in the shoes of someone who can't be here and say, oh, I want to see them get healed. If that's you, either of those two groups, could I encourage you to come? I'm going to ask the prayer team if they'd come right now, just stand across the front, just so there's someone for you to come to. The prayer team will have some of those uh, cloths in their hand. Why don't you come, let someone pray with you, let someone agree with you. Isabel's going to sing over us this morning. Why don't we, for those that aren't coming, just let this minister to you. Pray for those around you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.